it may well be the most comprehensive passage answering the question, who is Jesus, that you'll ever find. Certainly, it's the most complete, the most systematic, the most thorough passage in the gospel accounts concerning the identity of Jesus. While as members of the Lord's church, we're quick maybe to go to Matthew 16, and who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. As precious and as important as that passage is, the passage that we're going to study from God's Word this morning says even more about Jesus and His identity. And it's a passage that's not studied nearly as thoroughly as Matthew 16. I'm speaking of John chapter 5, especially verses 17 through 29. You won't find a more thorough statement about Jesus anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a passage more thorough and complete speaking of him and his identity anywhere in the New Testament. What makes this extra precious is that it comes from the lips of our Lord himself. He's not simply asking, who do others say that I am, and then who do you say that I am? What Jesus is doing is he's telling us exactly who he is. Getting a handle on the context is really important here. If you would, go in your Bible to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, notice verses 46 to the end of the chapter. Jesus is in Cana of Galilee, the place where he did his first miracle, John 2, 1 through 11. But an official comes to him from Capernaum. Capernaum is about 17 miles away from Cana. And this official has a son who is sick to the point of dying. Sick to the point of dying. And Jesus heals that child, that son, without ever even going from Cana to Capernaum. Keep in mind the word distance, because distance doesn't matter if you're the son of God whether it's 17 miles or 17 million miles. And the second thing to keep in mind is the word time. Whenever the official gets back, the father of the boy who was so sick, when did the boy get well at the seventh hour, which was exactly the time That Jesus said, your son is well. Go on home. John chapter 5. When we look at the opening 11 verses of John chapter 5, what we have is Jesus in Jerusalem. 
He's gone there for a holiday, for a feast that is unnamed in John chapter 5. While there, he encounters an invalid, an invalid. And this person has been an invalid for 38 years. Mark in your Bible the word time. Because here, for 38 years he's been an invalid, the likelihood of things ever changing is incredibly remote. And he believes that himself. This is just something to which he's resigned himself. I am going to be an invalid for life because nobody can ever help me get to the pool in time of Siloam to be healed. Even though the distance to the pool was sort of short, he couldn't get there. And the Lord heals that man who had been an invalid for so long. Distance is no problem for the Son of God. Shouldn't be. Time is no issue for the Son of God. And how long this man had been an invalid, really, it, it's, it's astounding to us, but it's irrelevant if you're all-powerful. And now here, in the context of John chapter 5, after this man had been healed, and notice it was on the Sabbath day, when the Jews would worship. Look at verse 16. The idea is, it says the Jews in the context wanted to persecute Jesus, but the word the Jews really means the religious leaders of the Jews. Because Jesus did what he did on the Sabbath in their way of thinking, he had violated God's law. After all, couldn't he have waited one more day? He's working on the Sabbath. Therefore, he has violated the Sabbath. That's what these religious leaders were thinking. And the word persecute the word persecute there means that they were harassing and desiring to do him bodily harm and the reason for this is that in their own way of thinking they overlook the greatness of the miracle Jesus has done and they focus on the time. The time. But if Jesus is God, the time and distance are irrelevant because He's the one who instituted the Sabbath and the laws pertaining thereto anyway. Now notice verse 17. And it's the last little word of intro because I want you to see six great 
claims of Jesus from this passage. As you look at verse 17, it says, He answered them. Maybe circle that word answer in your Bible. Because the idea is he responds to the allegations and makes a defense. And yet there's no indication given that any of the religious leaders had personally said anything to Jesus. He knows what's transpiring, however. And Jesus answers. He responds And it has, that term answering has legal overtones, a legal connection. This is what you're accusing me of. Let me answer that right here, right now. And think about this. The Lord is in Jerusalem. The Lord is on the home turf, if you will, for the religious leaders of the Jews. And far from being meek and lowly, even though the term is biblical and Jesus is that, it wasn't a time to be meek and lowly. It was a time to respond and to identify who he really is. And so in John chapter 5, verses 17 through 29, what we've got are six great claims of Jesus. You know how it's really common in the world for people to think of Jesus maybe as a prophet or as a great moral teacher? In view of what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 5, verses 17 through 29, that's a bunch of baloney. He is either who he claims in this passage or he is a liar and not our Lord. He's insane and not the incarnate Son of God. God in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 He is deluded rather than God's own Son. Now look, if you will, at how he describes himself. Look at Christ outrageous claims because they are outrageous unless he's who he claims look at John chapter 5 verses 17 through 21 Jesus claims to be equal with God Jesus claims to be equal with God John 5, 17 through 21, that's the first claim that he makes that's totally outrageous unless it's true. He claims to be equal with God, the Father. Notice what he says. First of all, he refers to God, my Father. He refers to his relationship, his unique relationship with the Father. My father is working, he says. And I also am working. You know, the Jews, Tim, they believed that God's still working. Yes, they they believed that, you know, he rested on the Sabbath. 
initially, but in His providence, in the expression of His love, in the giving of His blessings, the, the Jews as a group, they all believed that God would work even on that day because after all, He's the one that instituted the Sabbath. Jesus is not only claiming a unique relationship with the Father, He's claiming that because of that relationship and how unique it is, I and the Father are one, John 10 and verse 30. Because of that unique relationship, I can heal and do good on the Sabbath just as my Father can bless and providentially care for everyone in creation on that day too. And so he's making an argument from consistency. If he is equal to God, he as Lord of the Sabbath has right to, the right to do as he wishes. Now, the religious leaders got the point and it stung they said not only look at verse 18 not only has this man violated the sabbath but he claims to have a unique and special relationship with god and that he is equal to god they got exactly what he was trying to say and now these people who were persecuting him have notched it up, ratched it up a notch, we would say. Now they're even more heated, Troy, and they're ready to kill him. They want to kill him for making the claim to be equal with God. Now if you're looking, beginning in verse 19, there are four consecutive cases of the use of the word for. It's the word gar in Greek, this particular word for. Look at verse 19. For as the Father does, so likewise the Son. You should have that or something very close to that. Everybody got it? For as the Father does, so likewise the Son. You often hear someone say, even today, like father, fill in the blank, like son. In no case is this more true than in the case of God the Father and God the Son. So much so that Jesus would say, John 14, verses 8 and 9, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Who's Jesus? He's equal to God. And then notice verse 20 for the second of these four statements. Because those little words, those little hinges are connecting great concepts. Hear me, Justin? Not only does he say... For as the Father does, so likewise the Son. But secondly, he says, For the Father loves the Son and has shown Him all. 
Now, God hasn't revealed everything to us. He's revealed plenty, hadn't he? But Jesus is claiming a position of special love and special inside information to which you and I can't fully get. And we don't fully have. So when we listen to Jesus and his claims, he is claiming to be equal to God. He's of the same essence or same stuff as God. He is God, John 1, 1 through 4. And yet, of the same essence and stuff as God, He is not personally the Father, but reveals the Father. And the Father loves Him. There's a relationship there. And the Father shows Him awe. Now look, if you will, at John 5.21, second claim. Let's just work our way through this. What does Jesus say about himself? In a world that is often so doubtful and unbelieving concerning the identity of Jesus, don't you think what he said about himself, his own claims, should be carefully evaluated and considered? Don't you think that if he is not who he claimed, he's either a nutcase or deluded now notice verse 21 verse 21 has Jesus making this claim Jesus claims to be the giver of life Jesus claims to be equal with God Jesus claims to be the giver of life verse 21 There's another one of those four statements there, Alan. It's the third one. We're going to get another one here in the very next verse. But for, as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so the Son gives life to whom He will. See that? Jesus claims to be the giver of life. It was God who breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Jesus, who is involved, has been involved in the creation of life. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He created all things by whom he also made the world. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And so when you think about life initially, yes, but Jesus is not just the one who gives physical life, although that's true. He's also the one who will give spiritual life. And that's also involved. It's Jesus who a few chapters over will say to dead Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth in John 11. 
But it is also Jesus who said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. John 10 and verse 10. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 1 and verse 4. He is the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. 25. What a claim. This is what he said about himself. He said, I am working in a context when he said, I am equal with God. I am, says this. I am working. The great I am. And here in this passage he says, I give life. Look at verse 22 and also verse 27 of John 5. Notice the claim of Jesus. In John 5, 22 and also verse 27, Jesus claims to be the judge of all. God has the prerogative of giving life. Jesus claims to have that prerogative. Jesus is God, the Son of God. God has the right to judge and to ultimately judge. Jesus claims that right. Therefore, Jesus is God. When you look at verse 22, there is yet another one of those four gar expressions in Greek. Not that the Father judges anyone, but He has committed all judgment to the Son. Committed all judgment to the Son. Do you see it? Now look at verse 27, and it tells us why. Verse 27 says, Because He is who? Because He's who? What? Son of man. Do you see it? He relates perfectly to God as deity. He relates perfectly to us as a human. God in the flesh... He's perfectly qualified to judge no one. And God the Father says, Jesus, you be the one who executes judgment. Think of the inner workings of the Trinity. Because, Brother Clay, all Jesus wants to do is glorify the Father. All the Spirit wants to do is glorify Jesus. Because all they want to do is show the great love that they have for mankind and their power in bringing this world into existence and in making salvation possible. Now turn over to John chapter 3. Turn over to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, because some people may, may miss the point here because Jesus talks about being the judge, but doesn't John 3, 16 and 17 talk about Jesus not coming to condemn or to judge the world? 
but rather that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 16, especially throughout verse 18, here's the idea. Christ's purpose in coming, y'all, is to reveal God, is to bring about the salvation in the plan of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. He's also the one who brings justice. Because according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account to God for the things that we have done, whether they are good or evil. He's the judge of all. No mere mortal can make that claim. Therefore, we must be dealing with either a liar, someone completely deluded, or what he's saying is true. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 23. Before I leave this last idea about Jesus as judge, think about this. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but God now commends all men everywhere to repent. And as much as He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through the one that He's ordained, Jesus, and Through him, he's given us assurance that he has raised Christ from the dead. Acts 17, 30-32. He is the Lord, the righteous judge. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-9. through Keep working with me. Number 4. John 5, 23. Danny read that for us in our scripture reading a few moments ago. Jesus claims to be... Worthy of the honor and worship due only God. Jesus claims to be worthy of the honor and worship that's due only to God. That's what John 5.23 says. That the Son may be honored even as the Father is honored, and one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Now, didn't Jesus say, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only? If He really believed what He said, and He accepted worship and honor, and He talks about being honored even as the Father... He better be who he claims. Because God's word says, Isaiah 42 verse 8, My glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 48 11, My glory I will not share with another. So it would be absolutely preposterous and what's more, it would be blasphemous for Jesus to say, 
I am due the honor that the Father is due because I'm his son if he is not who he claims. Look for just a moment at Revelation 4 and 5. And this is so striking and it's so beautiful. In Revelation, the fourth chapter, one of two chapters in Revelation that we call the throne chapters of the book. The word throne occurs 47 times in the book of Revelation. 46 times it's used of God's throne. And about half, almost half, a little less, of those references to the throne of God are found in Revelation 4 and 5. Here's what's interesting. In Revelation 4, it's God, the Father, that's on the throne. It seems very obvious as we look at the text. He's the holy, holy, holy one, verse 8. Then we get to Revelation 5, which begins with the seven-sealed book that I talked about not too long ago in a sermon And the question being asked throughout heaven, is there anybody around who can take this book, this scroll, with its seven seals and open it? And the answer is the Lamb, Jesus. And in Revelation 4, great worship And honor and praise are given to the Father. But one chapter later, great worship and honor and praise are given to Jesus the Lamb. Can we worship Jesus? You better believe it. He accepted worship here on earth. John 9 and verse 38 And at the right hand of God in glory, He is worthy of our worship and praise and honor now. Next. Look at John 5, 24. This is number 5. As we look at this passage, Jesus claims... Jesus claims to be the key... To everyone's eternal destiny. He claims to be the key to everyone's eternal destiny. Notice how the passage begins. Truly, truly, you King James people, verily, verily, an important emphasis. Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you is very important. I want to emphasize it with the use of this expression. Truly, truly. Then he says, I say unto you, I say unto you, an absolute authority is speaking. Absolute authority is speaking. Then he talks about a conditional promise. Whoever hears my words... And believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. Now Steve, that's a conditional promise. Whoever hears and believes in the one who sent me. Whoever hears and embraces Christ's words. 
Whoever believes that the Father really did send him and send him and that he's the long-awaited promised one, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, the Lamb, has eternal life. Now catch this, Ron. Next expression. A necessary clarification shall not come into judgment. Woo! If Jesus, who he's claimed to be, Wayland, if Jesus, who he's claimed to be, and we come to him, we will not come into judgment. But we have passed from death to life. Now that's a great passage, isn't it? But it all hinges on Christ's identity and on how we respond to His claims. Hearing His Word, be careful how you hear, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, Luke 8, 18, because there's an awful lot of voices out there saying things that are confusing and flat-out contradictory to each other. He claims to be the one who has the keys to our eternal destiny. If he's right, the world needs to respond. Think of the preaching of the book of Acts. There is salvation in none other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. Those who hear my word. You know why? Because his words are life. John 6, 63 and 68. We need to respond to his words. They're life. Why is his word so important? Only by his word can we be cleansed. John 15 and verse 3. In his word, there's life. There's cleansing. There is the revelation of God. You want to know what God is like, Jesus says, look at me. That's what Jesus says. Lastly, 25 through 29. Jesus, number six, claims to be the one who will raise all at the last hour. Well, God, it's a prerogative of God to judge. It's a prerogative of God to to give life. It's a prerogative of God to raise men up at the last hour. Jesus says, Marvel not, the hour comes when all that are in the tombs shall hear My voice. They that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. They that have done good to the resurrection of life. You know. If the word of Jesus can save our souls. The word of Jesus Just his spoken word, Miss Mary. 
will raise all of the dead. How about that for a claim? And then we go back to Genesis and we think about the one who spoke this world into existence. No problem to raise the dead. Now think about those six claims because the lesson's yours. Jesus claims to be equal with God. Jesus claims to be the giver of life. The giver of life. Jesus claims to be worthy of honor and glory and worship that's due only to God. And as we think about all six of these claims, if we want to be God's people, we have to embrace the identity of Jesus fully. It's not that he's just a good guy. It's not that he's just a prophet. It's not that he's one of many alternatives. He is the one and only who really reveals our God. And if you have not responded to Him properly, the opposite of the life that He came to give is what? Death. You're sick and dying. If you've not responded to Him He came to bring cleansing. You're polluted and stained by sin. Even if you're a good moral person. And then think about this. If you are not responding properly to Jesus, you are not ready to meet the judge. More than anything, here there are people that wants you to be able to stand before your judge and not be condemned. More than anything, there's people here, I believe, that wants you to not be stained or polluted, that wants you not to be sick and dying, but alive and well in Jesus. But I say that with this knowledge, there's nobody in all the world who wants you to embrace Him more than Jesus Himself. And it's why he came in the first place. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, we respond to Jesus. By being added to his body, the church, we claim that we are followers of Jesus and that we're people who are in Jesus. And we look forward to the time when all will hear his voice all the dead, and come forth. And those who are alive when he finally speaks the word will be caught up in the air and we can be with him forever. Let us stand and sing.